The following podcast contains mature language and adult discussion. This week on Kayfabe, stories you're not supposed to hear. Gene Simmons regurgitates and spits up his own blood every night in concert. I mean, you know, as a 12-year-old kid, what else would you think? Yeah, we thought the blood in wrestling was, was like ketchup or something. We didn't know that was real. All right, you've come back to me. You've come back to me. I've come back to you. Another episode of Kayfabe, stories you're not supposed to hear. You know, there was a news item that I meant to do. I'm not going to, listen, this isn't going to be topical on this show. I'm not going to be digging up like uh, things that'll be irrelevant when you listen to an episode of this podcast in you know, two years if you choose to, or if you're finding us now and you're going through, uh, there's nothing here that's uh, that's going to be too topical to prevent you from enjoying it. I'm not going to tell you what's gone on in this week's news. I'm not going to tell you last week was Christmas. It kind of fucks things up. People don't listen to podcasts live. They go back months, years. So be stupid to do that. But I, I do want to share this one thing, because if we're on the precipice, we talk a lot about media, go figure, you know, I own a company, but we we talk about media, we talk about digital media, we've talked about markets and, and such things on, on this show. So this this is relevant, so I feel that I can share this. I first, oh God, I don't know when I first heard about it, but um, Engadget is the site I'm on now, so I can credit them. Or engage it, E-N-G-A-D-G-E-T dot com. One of those cute little names that no one knows how to fucking pronounce your website, bro. Uh, make it simple. Something like Google. But Netflix, on some Android devices is now coming with a a very quietly and discreetly placed variable speed option. So just like on your audiobooks or on some podcast players where you can jack me up to 1.25 and get me talking a little faster so you can get through this and you don't have to waste a whole hour, you can do it in 45 minutes. Or you can slow it down. I don't know why you would do that, but... um, I'll confess, I've, depending on the narrator's speed and cadence, I have moved audiobooks to 1.25. And it it sounds like conversation. I can be spoken to like this. At this tone, I can listen to a story like this. I don't need it to be read to me like this, nor do I want it to be. I just don't have the time. So I have moved that up. But this, I think, is a sin. Of, 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 a, of a different degree, talking about watching movies or video, TV shows, whatever, at variable speed. Irrespective of, of whether it happens on YouTube and, and, and kids are watching stupid shit sped up, it, we don't go to that for the same experience that you put on The Godfather. And the fact that you can now watch The Godfather... Uh, you know, one and a half times speed 
is uh, is abject stupidity. I think um, people don't have an attention span as it is, and as uh, a store as a storyteller myself with books, uh, y- you want to be able to make sure everybody grasps anything that you're laying out for them. No, I don't think we have to go low. I don't think we have to spell everything out. But everything that's there has to be seen and digested. And then, you know, people make their own decisions about story and and take it whatever direction they want. But it's got to be seen. And if you're jacking your fucking player up to 1.25, you are blowing by so much significant stuff. The experience is going to be affected. So now the, the real horror in this is we've given people the power to put those star ratings on content. I can go into Amazon now and give a book I read four stars or three stars or five stars and give my ridiculously unqualified opinion as to why it is that many stars. And I know anyone under 30 is going, but but the people, anyone's opinion is valid because it's... No, fuck what, it's not. Because you know as well as I do, there are so many trolls out there that derive intense personal satisfaction from taking the shit that they are uh, responsible for spewing and smearing it all over as much of the world as they can. And um, I don't necessarily think everybody should have a voice like that. So anyway, listen, so here's what we've done. We've now not only given Joe Fungul the, uh, the ability to affect the Godfather's star rating, we've now allowed him to speed his fucking thing up to double time and miss half the content that's been put into the film, dialogue or visual, because it's going too damn fast and it can't be digested. And now his star rating is going to be uh, based on a half a film that he watched. It's just slipping out of our hands, guys. It's slipping out of our hands. For the record, I should say a spokesperson for Netflix has said, quote, we're always experimenting with new ways to help members use Netflix. This test makes it possible to vary the speed at which people watch shows on their mobiles. Uh, as with any test, it may not become a permanent feature on Netflix. Yeah, well, that's fine, but I just don't understand the impetus behind it. Like, if if I was the head of Netflix and you came into my office, what I would say for any decision was, why? What what's the What's the benefit to the user? What would you say? What would you say? Would you have to defend the fact that nobody has a fucking attention span anymore? Would you have to defend that? And 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 further feed the sickness? Well, you know, people don't like to waste a lot of time watching things. So if we could like speed the Godfather up to like an hour and thirty-five minutes, I think people would like that. What's the reason? I would love to know. I'd love to just hear it articulated. I don't know if it went anywhere, if it ever hit the uh, iOS or not, but that was for Android users on mobile only. That's what they were doing. Oh, God, I just... I remember a a filmmaker when I was... I guess I was directing commercials at the time. Another filmmaker with with whom I was working in a different capacity came up and told me about this great thing he was working on where... We're going to go back to like 95 here, guys. So, you know, maybe, maybe a little later, late 90s early 2000s where the like the ending of a film could be chosen and I said well I said you don't have a fucking film you're making you have a video game 
that's an ex- that's an expression. You've got a, a point of view. It shouldn't be malleable as a filmmaker. Go make a fucking PlayStation game. I just I just I didn't understand it then. But listen, digitization is making everything malleable. Read another thing in the Times a few weeks ago. They have the ability. I don't think it's happened yet. But there's enough data on you in your user world, whether it's on browsing the internet or using Netflix or on Facebook. There's enough information on you that when you watch an episode of, I don't know, Stranger Things, and a character walks by a billboard in the street... That billboard, what's on that billboard? Product placement, right? We all know what that is. We don't have to go through that. Companies paying money to have uh, films put them prominently featured in them. Reese's Pieces in E.T., one of the great gaffes in history because M&M's didn't want the spot. We don't want aliens eating us. Holy fuck. I don't think anyone knew what a Reese's Piece was before E.T., but that billboard in Stranger Things is going to have an ad on it for something that connects to you. I'm going to watch it, and it's going to have a Coca-Cola ad on it, and someone else is going to watch it. I don't know. Might have a Nike ad on it. But that's coming. So elements of film and television now are going to be customizable because it's all digital. It's all streaming. There doesn't have to be one truth anymore. After that, because you like sad stories, your character might die at the end of your fucking episode of Stranger Things. And because I'm a survivalist, I might have my character live. It's going to be completely malleable. Expression is dead. Put any fucking face you want on the Mona Lisa. We're there. Can we do this in life? Because I, I, I sometimes look for, for the ability to do what we can do with a computer in life. I know, I know we all probably think that. The control Z. Oh, control Z or command Z in, in Apple. The undo. Holy shit, I look for the undo all the time. I want to control Z half the things that come out of my mouth. But now maybe we can have variable speed for people. My mother... Would I'd have to I'd have to deal with my mother on a one point two five. I would have to slide her up. I need it faster. I guess. Hey, mom, what's going on? Uh, yeah. Did you hear what happened, Uncle Bobby? Remember Uncle Bobby? Yeah, he's uh, he's not doing well. Yeah. What happened? Well, you know, he. Uh, did 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 you remember when we went to the to uh, when he was down? Well, he was down here a long time ago. Do you remember when he? I I need the one point two five. I actually need it edited. But but for now we could just click click click. We just we'll just we'll just hit the one point two five and move it along faster. Some people need, may need to be slowed down. Some of your fucking kids, you might want to put them on point seven five while they're running around the house. Yeah, day at home with the kids, point seven five. And listen, guys, now your wives can put you on point five zero and finally get a half hour out of you. The KC Vault. Want to see all of Kayfabe Commentary's content? It's all going to be up there. There's in the hundreds of hours of programming already on the KC Vault. $14.95 a month. One price. 
to watch all of our content. These shows were 20 bucks a piece just a few years ago on DVD. A la carte. Now, you've got like, I think there's like 90 full-length programs of kayfabe commentaries on there for one low price a month. Watch them as many times as you want. And you should. People tell me they watch some of our timelines three and four times. Watch their favorite years again and again. KC Vault. Go to kcvault.pivotshare.com. kcvault.pivotshare.com. Sign up. Join the revolution. We changed it all. Kayfabe Commandos stormed the Bastille and uh, and changed things. KCVault.pivotchair.com. All right, only a only a half digression from the wrestling discussion this week. The, God, though, I wish it was more. But you're all just so fickle. Oh, you're so <laughs> fickle. My divergences from talking about arm bars are, are usually met with you know a, a tepid uh, enthusiasm at best. But listen, my guest is Michael Brandvold. Now you you'll know him from the music stuff that he does, Kiss initially. But you've got some brand extension happening, right? Oh yeah, I've got I've got another um, I've got a company, Michael Branville Marketing, that's all about marketing for musicians and artists and bands, and I've got another podcast called The Music Biz Weekly. That Jesus been doing that since eight years now, nine years coming on, which mm. is all about the music business. So you've been podcasting for nine years. Yeah, hard to freaking believe, but every week give or take, you know, the occasional holidays or a family vacation. But there's been a weekly podcast every week since beginning of 2011. Okay, so like at what point did it magically all become worth it? Because I'm still fucking waiting. Well, all right, so here's, you know, I, I've talked a lot about podcasts at radio conventions and on panels. My, my first statement is, if you think you're going to make money out of this, you, you stop. Exactly. Just stop. Exactly. You know, because you're you're not making any money out of this. You better be doing this podcasting for fun. If you're having fun, you'll keep doing it. You must be knowledgeable and important because you're doing it. And uh, so the Music Biz podcast has just been, again, my way of connecting with people in the industry and promoting my services. The KISS podcast, Three Sides of the Coin, is literally nothing but fun as a KISS fan. I hang out once a week with two or three other people that are big KISS fans and some very cool special guests, and we just talk about KISS. Yeah. Now, you know, our company, Kayfabe Commentaries, we started very much uh, the same. It was always a business, but it was always how we came at it from the fans' perspective. We were just doing what we wanted to see as fans, yep. um, much yep. like you and, and Mark and Tommy do, uh, talking about the things that you just want to talk about as fans. Um, but do that, and the money follows, they say. Well, you know, I and, and listen, I mean, we're, we're making pocket change you know there's a youtube advertising and you know we've had we've been flown to events as as um interviews and special guests and stuff like that 
I'm, you know, I'm not making money. None of us are making money that it's like, all right, we can do this as our full-time gig. Yeah. God, I'd love it if, if there was, but you know, I think the problem with that is in general, everybody outside of podcasting is still stuck in this radio TV advertising frame of mind Mm. that, you know, I need to buy a 30 second spot. How many 30 second spots, how many people are listening to it for the for a 15 minute quarter hour type of thing. And, and you know, as well as I do podcasting, is not that podcasting is such a niche and that's its advantage is yeah. you can, you're, you're, you're advertising, you're promoting to the absolute audience who is supporting you. It's not like a billboard on a freeway and you're going, yeah, great. 5 million people saw the billboard and you're like, yeah, but, how many of the five million cared about the billboard? Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's a way to deliver like the the ultra specific niche to an advertiser, but just that. I mean, you're delivering exactly uh, who they want. It's not the uh, carpet bombing that you do with traditional advertising. Yeah, I mean, we we we've we've gotten testimonials from many authors we've had on on the Kiss podcast who've written Kiss books. And they're like, man, you know, after we've been on your show, I saw a definite spike in sales on Amazon or from my website or whatever. So we're like, yeah, we know we can drive people. It's just getting advertisers and sponsors to sit there and go, you know what? We want to pay for that. Yeah. Um, You know, you're not the only Kiss podcast out there, as you're well aware. Um, Oh, yeah. But now... What's the philosophy behind three sides of the coin? If if it was part of a big business plan, and, you know, plays of passion like this are not. They just kind of start with a bunch of friends like my company did and yours probably did. But if you, if you had to put the business plan together today, what would the philosophy behind that show be to differentiate it? Well, yeah, so and th- we've described it this way since day one. You go hang out in a bar once a week with your buddies, two, three, four, well, however many buddies. You go meet at a bar for a couple hours, drinking and talking. Well, what do you talk about? Usually you're going to get together and talk about whatever that group has in common, whether it's wrestling, whether it's football, whether it's kiss, whether whatever it is. In our case, we're three guys who go sit in a bar, not literally, and we talk about KISS for a couple hours. And we just hit the record button. And you just hear our conversation as KISS fans. And that's the, that's the philosophy of it. And I think that's why it's connected so well with fans out there. Because we're not sitting here trying to reveal all of the dirty secrets behind everything. We're not looking for all of the unknown answers we're not trying we're just like as as you alluded to earlier we're just three kiss fans it's like if it interests us it probably interests other fans yeah so we're gonna just talk about it we've always said and i think this is so important honesty is the most important thing we will always tell you our honest opinion i mean Our show's a commentary show. It's not a factual show. Even though we have guests who reveal facts and nuggets of information, it's commentary. We're 
we're we're not about scooping news. So all we do is talk about our honest feelings. I might like this. You might not like it. That's fine. We totally respect that. Nobody's right. Nobody's wrong. It's it's about being honest. And I think that's one of the things that fans are really connected with on our show is our honesty. Now, sometimes that honesty causes trouble, causes problems, pisses off people. Yeah, you would, Gene would not be a fan of, of or, or Paul of the well, more Paul would probably not be a fan of your of honesty, right? Well, you know, it, it's it's interesting that you say that because all three of us, especially myself, because my history is I worked with Kiss for seven or eight years. I, you know, Gene called me and basically offered me a job to build kissonline.com back in 1998. Mm-hmm. So I worked with them. I, I was on the inside. I understood those guys. Mark Cicchini knows them has known them for many, many years. Tommy's known them for many years. And and we we set out to do the show in such a way of, you know what? We're not going to restrain ourselves and our opinions for fear that it might upset the band. Right. Because that's not being real and that's not being honest. And therefore, we say everything with complete honesty. And we know the band listens the bands listen to many of our episodes. They know all about the podcast. I mean, they get people coming up to them at shows wearing three sides T-shirts. And, you know, it, 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 it's funny how it's grown into something like this. But we're not we don't care if the band doesn't like it. OK, no biggie. We're not doing this to impress the band. We're not doing this to get anything out of the band. We're doing this because we just feel like talking about our feelings about something we love. Well, yeah, I think what your show does, and I think a lot of KISS fans feel the same way, what you guys celebrate is actually larger than the band, it, you know, the sum of the parts yep. kind of deal. So it's not even really about Gene and Tommy and, no, and not, Paul anymore. You're, you're, it's the whole right. thing. And I mean, my favorite guests of your show have been the peripheral characters in Kiss's lives. J.R. Smalling, um, yep. Chris Lent, who I think is an yep. amazing guest. He wrote, I think, the best Kiss book by a non-Kiss yep. member called Kiss yep. and Sell. He was the uh, uh, accountant or worked for the accounting firm. They called him the wallet. So during that time period of the late 70s when things were just exploding, he was the guy on the road. Um, so he tells everything from a financial standpoint and it's fascinating, but those are my favorite shows that you guys do. Yeah, no, you know, many people have like, you guys know Gene and Paul, how come you've never gotten Gene or Paul as a guest on the show? And our honest answer is we don't really want them. I suppose if they reached out to us and said, Hey, Paul Stanley would love to be on the show. You know, we're not going to turn it down. But we don't care because the reality is somebody like Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley or any celebrity of their caliber, of their level, do you really think they're going to come on a podcast and tell you something that you've never known before? Of course do you not. think no. they're going to give us the ultimate scoop? No, we're going to get the same spin, the same story that they tell all the media. And that's fine. I get it. We all get it. But to your point there, that's why we want all of the other people. 
you know, the, the costume designers from the, the 70s and the 80s, the people who designed the tour stages, because they aren't worrying about that either. And they're just going to tell you their experiences. And I think what we've been able to do, because Three Sides has been around for seven years now, um, if you took all of these little podcasts we've done, it paints the full picture for you, as opposed to Gene Simmons coming on and telling his story. Well, that's just his story. How about what Paul's take was on that? And how about the record producer who was in the studio with them? And how about the, again, the, the tour accountant and all you put all of their stories together. And now as a fan, you all of a sudden get the whole picture. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the way for me to learn about you, Michael, would be to talk to your wife for a half hour, not to talk to you. Yep. You're going to tell yeah, me exactly. who, who you want me to believe I'm talking to, yep. but the people yep. around you are going to tell the truth. And that's kind of the, the, the mosaic that you've made with the show. It's fun. It's funny because, you know, we, everybody who does a podcast that, that is doing it right has their haters and and you know the people that try and destroy the show and they're always like you know so what are you going to get the the guy who cooked a hamburger for paul stanley one afternoon yeah and i'm just like i'm like well if he's got an interesting angle or an interesting story sure why not he might be able to contribute something to the overall picture of history that we're we've been painting for seven years here your co-hosts uh who we've mentioned um mark and tommy tommy summers and mark cicchini right now does cicchini i know some cicchinis out here in jersey does he have a connection to new jersey uh i not that i know of he's from detroit okay um but uh they are uh, let me just say first of all i hate podcasts with more than two hosts because I can't figure out what the hell's going on. However, it's a a challenge, man, but I have to say this and yours may be the only show that I I do greatly enjoy hating things, but yours show may be the only one where all three of you have such a distinct personality that I don't muddy you guys in my mind. I'm very clear about who's talking to me. Now that's, that's just luck. Hear. That's just luck, though. I can't give you credit for that. That's just luck. <laughs> no, no. You, but you, you're 100 percent right. It is just luck because the other thing I've always told anybody in podcasting or who wants to get into podcasting, people are like, and I'm sure you've seen this and heard this all the time. I'm going to start a podcast. What kind of gear do I need to spend? I'm going to go spend five thousand dollars on a mixing board and expensive mics and. And, you know, high def cameras and all this other stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> screw, screw all of that. You, you don't need any of that. You know what you need? A show. Chem- <laughs> you need chemistry. Yeah. You have to have chemistry with your co-host or co-hosts. I, I, I'm, I've, I don't like doing podcasts alone because it, it's, it's just not as easy to have a conversation when it's just yourself. So that, that's why with three sides, we went. It, it was Tommy and I, and we were both like, oh, okay, you know, I think we can get a third person. Because I knew that was going to bring out discussions and conversations out of everybody. And the three of us, Mark, Tommy, and I, have this chemistry. It's just, it, you know, we didn't know it. I mean, we, we had an original co-host, Mitch LaFon, who quit. And Tommy and I were like, we want a new co-host. Let's audition. 
people. Send us videos of you. And a couple of them kind of felt good. But then, honestly, we just had Mark on as a guest because Mark, as a KISS fan, has got one of the absolute largest KISS collections of anybody out there. This is like the KISS story, by the way. Like you looking for somebody and Mark walks in with a red shoe, an orange shoe, plugs in and you go, there's Ace. That that's exactly it. That's that gets back to the you know just do it for the love and the passion of it, and it will work out. We have Mark on the show as a guest. Tommy and I are done, and we're like, you know what? That was great conversation we had with Mark. We got along great. We laughed. We were like, let's ask him. And Mark was like, sure, I'd love to come on and do it. And you know, listen, Mark. We, we joke on the show. Mark is got the least amount of tech technical experience that I've ever encountered. I mean, you know, <laughs> I remember the very first time he was on officially as a co-host, we do it a, a Skype call every week is what we do. It took us almost two hours just to get Mark connected to Skype. <laughs> right. Then you got to do a friggin' show. <laughs> then we got to do a show. So, you know, it, 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 Mark is not there because he's got great gear great equipment let me give you my let me give you my guess i i I did say they have three distinct personalities uh michael mark and tommy let me just give you my impression of everybody uh having just listened to the show okay um everyone knows you they're hearing you now but for anyone who might not know here's my impression tommy um obsessive compulsive disorder maybe uh anal retentive slightly agoraphobic maybe um most likely of the three of you that would have been touched by a priest at some point <laughs> in the past. I love that. Now, I love that. now, Chikini, overly jovial, always happy to the point of Michael's personal annoyance, I'm going to say, um, spends a lot of time in the company of prostitutes, but doesn't spend the money <laughs> because it would cut into the merch budget. Uh, you're great. Now that's just my quick two second. Uh, am I close? Uh, Give me a score. Uh, you know, I, I, I absolutely love those. I, I honestly, you know, Mark and I describe Tommy as Ed McMahon. He's the Ed McMahon of the show. Sober though. Sober, but he's he's that he's the straight guy in the show. You know, he's he's there to add commentary, and when he says something, it's great. But. I'm, you know, and, and, and I don't want to say this as, like, I think I'm at this level, but I'm like the Howard Stern on the show. I'm the guy who's pissing people off. I'm directing the traffic. I'm everything else. Mark, I don't, you know, he's not he's not an Ed McMahon. He's not a Baba Booey type person. Um, Mark is, oh, you know what, who Mark is? Remember the um, Chris Farley episode where he interviewed paul mccartney is that where he plays like the fanboy guy yep uh, yeah yep 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 mark is fanboy mm-hmm. mark is fanboy because we've had we've had some guests on other musicians drummers from anthrax except stuff like that where mark goes fanboy right he 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 he, he lets down all of his guard and he just is like my God, I'm such a big fan. And what about this? And what about that? And, you know, Tommy and I are just laughing. I mean, the, the, the thing about our show is nothing is scripted. We don't do show prep. We don't script anything. 
we other than knowing we've got a guest or we don't have a guest, we pretty much just get on and hit the record button and talk. Well, but you so, got to know you got to know, like uh, this week, we're going to talk about uh, the the coolest uh, tour sure. programs well, or well, tour well, books. Well, right. well, a lot of times, yes, we will know the topic. We won't have researched all of what's going to be discussed. It's just here's the topic. Go. We've also had shows where I'm sure you've encountered this, where it's like the guest cancels on you at the last minute and you're sort of like, all right, well, the show's got to go on. What the hell? Hit the record button. What are we talking about today, guys? Mm. And it's just literally improvising and off the cuff. And that, that makes the show so fresh and so exciting because I personally don't like shows interviews where you sit back and go oh my god i can hear this is so scripted he's reading question number 12 off right. of his sheet of paper i'm like dude go back and ask the guy about this you completely missed that great opportunity to go down some other rabbit hole having covered let me ask you having covered kiss as extensively as you have and kind of explored all those different tentacles that the band has all the different products and the different iterations of the band what's the what do you think kiss as an entity has given us as the biggest piece of business advice um i i think there's a couple things actually first one is don't take advice from anybody because early on, Kiss was advised not to wear makeup. Right. Warner, Warner Brothers Records said, take the makeup off. And Kiss said, no, if we lose our record deal, fine, we're not. We're doing this the way we want. And, and anybody who's been a Kiss fan or even a periphery fan knows that through their approaching 50-year history now, they have always been disrespected, so to speak. Oh, uh, they can't play. They can't sing. They can't write songs. It's just makeup. It's just pyro. You know, they they need to throw in the towel. They need to give up. Whatever it is, they have been hit with so much stuff like that. And yet they're like, we're just doing what we think we want to do. Sort of like our podcast. They're just doing what they want to do. And guess what? It worked. I think the other thing they they clearly and visually most people would recognize is the branding and the marketing and merchandising of a band. They took that to a whole nother level that early on other bands would be like, Oh, that's you, 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 you can't do that. You know, it's, it's not cool right. to sell out and do merchandise. Now you got everybody going, how do we get to the level of kiss? so that people want to make pinball machines of us and people want to do slot machines and people want to make condoms and coffins with our logo on it. I, you know, they, they changed the way the music business was accepted, so to speak, mm -hmm. that they made it acceptable for bands to merchandise the hell out of them. I mean, you know, the, the, the story I love to tell is Kiss was the very first band to do the VIP meet and greets, the you know pay to meet the band, get a photo. Yeah, I I when I was working with them back in two thousand three, the opportunity to take some tickets and sell them through the website was given to me by the band's management, and 
I had to come up with an idea of how to do this, not just sell tickets. And I came up with the whole $1,000 ticket in the first or second row, photo with the band, autographs, autograph tour book, uh, guitar picks, the whole bit. And it exploded. I mean, it just, we, we had no idea if it was going to work or not work, but it, it obviously worked. And now if you look back over the last, what, 15, 16 years? Everybody's doing ev- it. Everybody wants to do that. Why? Because you can make money doing that. They love that concept that they can make money selling access. Well, the, in this day and age where, you know, you need these 360 deals in music because a, a friggin' download is $1.29 and people are cherry picking, you know, what they want. Nobody's buying a, an album anymore. Or right. CD, so they need to cling to these, the artists being the, who I'm talking about, they need to cling to these opportunities to make some money. And touring is always how you heard that they could do it. But now the record company is the tour company is the merch company. So all these little opportunities that they have to uh, they have to eke out. When I I always tell people who complain about this, like oh, you know, two thousand dollars to meet so and so backstage. Well, dude, you know, you loved Napster when it came out. You know, you you're thrilled to death that you only had to spend a dollar twenty nine this week to 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 listen to what you thought you should listen to from the new album. That's why you got to pay two grand to meet them. Yeah, I you know. First of all, hey, welcome to capitalism in the United States of America. You know, that if it didn't work, if the, if the demand wasn't there, the supply would disappear. And clearly that wasn't the case. There was demand, not just for KISS, but everybody out there. And, and more importantly, is anybody forcing you to buy that? Has anybody been forced to spend a thousand dollars to go to a meet and greet right it's not a single not a single person is you know we we say this time and time again on the podcast you don't and we don't like everything kiss does if you don't like something kiss does or any band or any entertainer vote with your wallet that's all that matters at the end of the day getting mad and angry on facebook and twitter that doesn't mean much if you don't buy the ticket, if you don't buy the T-shirt, if you don't buy the book, that is what they look at. Oh, my God, all of a sudden ticket sales have dropped. We better change what we're doing here because people are telling us something. Yeah, for sure. You know, the best piece of advice I got directly from Gene Simmons uh, right around this time you're talking about, actually, I would say 2003-ish, maybe 2002, I sent him this proposal, I, I like a friggin' mark. I'm sitting at my quasi-Wall Street job, and I do a mock-up ice cream cup. They had a shed tour coming up, and it, this was like in the winter, and I knew they were going to be doing the, uh, the outside venue, so I was like, they need to sell kiss cream i tell the story in my book the business of kayfabe kiss cream so i do all these labels strutter finger king of the nighttime swirl Rock, <laughs> rocky road all night so i i do all these cool names based on songs and i send it to gene no doubt waiting for the phone call that was no doubt gonna come well it doesn't right so i say well fucking tommy thayer probably snatched it out of the mail and tossed it in the garbage when he was <laughs> getting gene's mail from the box i gotta i gotta pitch this to gene in person i, I gotta get him in person he was doing a signing in uh, on the uh, the uh, the Wall Street borders when it was there. So I was like, all right, I, I got to go talk to him. So I go down, and I wait, and I get to him. I said, Gene, 
kiss cream. Is it going to happen, dude? And he's like, he's like, oh, I'm not sure. And I said, well, yeah. And I told him the names. King of the nighttime swirl. He laughed and he said to me, he said, well, that's great, but that's just an idea. I said, yeah, I was, yep. I said, well, what? A, but a great idea at that. He said, well, yeah, I want to build the tallest building in the world. Can I do it? Do you own an ice cream company? I was like, no, I don't. And all of a sudden, the most, the most elementary lesson in the world was crystallized in front of me. Yep. I stood there with my mouth open. I had nothing to say. I was like, you're so fucking right. I want to build the KISS building. Great. How are you going to do it? Brilliant. Yeah. 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 No, no. I, I, I share I share similar stories about Gene um, just like that to, to when I'm speaking about KISS or even when I'm doing um, uh, keynotes or addresses in the music industry. It's like, listen, Everybody's got an idea. Ideas are a dime a dozen. Do you have the money to execute on that idea? Right. If you don't, if you don't, I don't care. You know, and an idea is nothing more than a dream. Okay. Executing that is taking that dream and actually making it a goal and working towards achieving it. Because I, when I was working with Kiss, we did all sorts of fans emailing into the website things like hey i got this great great business idea i want to pitch to gene or they'd email gene on his website i want to pitch you this idea gene it's it's blah 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 and every once in a while gene would answer the letter and he'd be like listen you've got to understand everybody's got an idea as you just said do you have the the company to make the ice cream have you ever made ice cream do you know how to market, promote, and sell this? We're not doing this for you. I'm not investing my money into your idea. So he, that you're right. That is such a basic, basic concept that he he's he's preached for so long, and it's so right. It's just like there's nothing wrong with having ideas, but you've got to understand. Everybody on this planet has a million ideas. Yeah. You know, what's the what's the draw of KISS? I, I suspect it is a cousin of the draw of professional wrestling. And it all stems from a seed that's planted in childhood. Uh, for me, I'm probably around your age. I'm 47. Um, uh, for me, it had 100% to do with the mystery and the um, the pomp and circumstance. It was, it was larger than life, but it was also mysterious. I knew there were things being hidden. I knew the guy that was spitting the blood didn't go home and do that. I was fascinated by that. Just like I knew the guy that broke a chair over Bruno Sammartino's head didn't go over and break chairs over his wife's head. And the fact that something was being effectively hidden from me I think was was the start of the addiction on both. Yeah, you know, I, I I do think you're right. There's a lot of similarities between wrestling and Kiss. And I think one of the big ones is they're both, in essence, real, live, living, breathing superheroes. Yeah. You know, we've all... I'm not a huge comic book nut. But I grew up, I've read comic books, Superman, Batman, all of them. But, you know, whenever I read the comic book, I knew it was 100% fake. It wasn't a real person. It wasn't a real story. None of it was real. It was a comic book. Now, 
you know, and, and I got into Kiss in 1976. I remember it was the Paul Lind Halloween special when mm-hmm. I saw them. Classic. I, I, my, I, you know, my jaw dropped, my eyes popped out. I'm like, oh, oh my God, what am I seeing here? I, this is this is not a band like the Carpenters. How old are you? Osmonds. How old are you at uh, that time? I'm 50, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, 56. Okay, so. so. So it was just like, oh my God, this is like, these guys are real superheroes. And once I really got into Kiss, it, that that was cemented. It's like, oh my God, it's Gene Simmons. He is a human. I know he's a real human, but I only see him as this demon. I've never seen him as a human. It's sort of like Clark Kent Superman, but you've never seen Clark Kent. Yeah. And 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 you know, all of a sudden, yeah, he's on stage. It's not a drawing of spitting blood or breathing fire. Holy crap, he really spit blood. He really is breathing fire. He's really got that long tongue, you know, and back in the 70s, all of the rumors surrounding all of that stuff. I mean, I remember as a little kid thinking, yeah, Gene Simmons regurgitates and spits up his own blood every night in concert. I mean, you know, as a 12 year old kid, what else would you think? Yeah, we thought the blood in wrestling was was like ketchup or something. We didn't know that was real. <laughs> right. Jeans was so, fake. So, yeah, Exactly. Jeans was fake all along, but as a kid back then, you know, hey, it's pre, as we love to say on Three Sides of the Coin, timeline is everything. Back in the 70s, there was no internet there, you know, it was your own, it was your own little world. So you only knew what you and your two buddies across the street were saying. That was it. And, and, and Kiss really just. They, they, they jumped on that ability to have a mystique about their superhero personalities that was fabulous because it was real. It was a real world Batman, Superman, the Hulk, whoever you might have loved. And, and, and wrestling became that same way because I probably got into Kiss before I got into wrestling but immediately getting into wrestling at the AWA up in Minneapolis, it's like, oh my God, all these characters. Wait a second, this this guy's from Russia. This guy's a sheik. You know, you know, this 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 guy's what whatever their gimmicks were. This guy's a, uh, an Olympic wrestler. I didn't know any better. Had to be true. Had to be true. What was the first live AWA show you attended? <sighs> It had, you know, I don't remember the exact first one, but it had to be one of the major um, St. Paul Civic Center events that they would have either on Thanksgiving or Christmas or something like that. My dad and I would always go to any of those major events. And, 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 and when I mean major, I mean, they were drawn. St. Paul Civic Center back then was, I don't know, 15,000 people. And they would sell that out. And then there was an adjacent, smaller, um, not, that's not necessarily a theater, but just a smaller venue attached to it that was maybe three to 5,000. Mm-hmm. And they put another 3,000 people in there who would watch the closed circuit TV feed. Wow. It was just, you know, it, that was so great to see so many people. It was an event. It wasn't like, 
it wasn't like wrestling is today where it's like, you know, on any given week, you can find a wrestling match somewhere that's happening. It was an event that there was going to be a live, an, a, a live wrestling match. And, and, you know, back then, pre-WWF, WWE taking over everything, you know, it was all the wrestling regions. So, yeah. you know, AWA, I'm in my own little region here. Every once in a while, you get a little exposure to the NWA or something else. But it was your world. You had no idea what these wrestlers were doing elsewhere. I mean, I, I think it took me a while to even learn that these wrestlers were wrestling the same matches night after night all across the state, all across the upper mid. I had no idea. I thought it was just like, you know, it goes back to it was it was a reality of a superhero. I thought it was a real feud. I thought it was true anger. Did you root for the, the baby faces or the heels? Um, both. It really depended on who, who I connected to. Um, I, you know, my all-time favorite AWA wrestler. Jesse Ventura. Um, no. Baron Von Raschke. Really? Yeah. That's I don't know what it is me. about the, the Baron that connected to, with me. I just, I absolutely loved the Baron. He was a guy that would cut. He would flip back and forth every once in a while between good and bad, um, you know, but I absolutely loved, and I've, I think I've said this on, on three sides, I loved to hate Jerry Blackwell. Oh, my God, I hated him with such a passion, but I had to watch him every time because he was just so, I mean, here's this guy who's 400 pounds, and, you know, all of a sudden he's a sheik. And I'm like, wait, wait a second. He's from Georgia. What's he, you know, how can he be a sheik? And you'd hate him. And, you know, I, I've taught, and I'm sure you've heard this, you know, Bobby, Bobby Heenan. Oh, God. And, oh, my God, just an absolute genius. And when I started Three Sides, again, there was no preconceived, I'm going to be this. Tommy, you're going to do that. This is how we're going to develop our characters. It was all naturally developed. And it was probably a couple years into the podcast where I stopped and I was thinking about it. And I'm going, crap, I'm like Bobby Heenan. And again, I don't want people to think that I'm claiming to be as good as him. But I'm that manager, that heel. My job has naturally evolved on the podcast to be the guy that gets in the ring and makes everybody throw their cups of beer at me. That's my job. Get freaking pissed. Hate me. Talk about me. I'm going to push the buttons. I'm going to say what I need to say to get you out of your seat. That just happened naturally. But looking back at my life as a kid, I'm like, crap, that's that wrestling influence. That was the AWA influencing me on all of this. Yeah, it never leads to anything good. At least you got a <laughs> podcast out of it. My only interaction with Bobby Heenan, he was already well sick by the time we'd started our company and doing all the videos and stuff. But I did meet Bobby once, and I said to him, listen, I, I have a lot of teachers that would like to talk to you because um, I sounded a lot like you. When I started watching you on television, <laughs> the only thing he said to me, he said, uh, did you ever get thrown out? I said, no. He said, well, then you weren't any good. And he walked away from me. It was the perfect <laughs> best interaction I'd ever had with a professional wrestler. 
you know, that, that, that goes along with one of my absolute favorite quotes of all time. Gene has repeated this, but it's actually a quote by George Bernard Shaw. The secret to success is to offend the greatest, greatest number amount of, of people. people. Yes, indeed. And it's, it's like, dude, if, if, if three sides of the coin isn't offending somebody, we're not being real. We're not being honest. It's not good enough. See, I don't and, find any. I don't find you uh, any of that offensive. You're saying because because you guys express uh, negative opinions about certain songs or or certain eras that that well, would be controversial. Yeah, yeah I mean, you got to keep in mind. So you know, Kiss, fifty years. I mean, they've been makeup, no makeup, back to makeup. You know, countless band member changes. They've 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 done hair metal. They've done grunge. You know, they've done enough where there's so many different things that you can talk about and nobody in the kiss world is going to agree upon any of it it's just you know it's it's a it's a very fortunate topic that we picked that there's so much that we can talk about i mean god we could have picked a band that only did one album and two tours and you know was gone after three years i mean it's it's like how much can you talk about there so Kiss, kiss, kiss is, is like, man, I just lost my train of thought where I was going with all of this. What was the question again? Well, uh, well I was just saying that I didn't find it uh, offensive oh, necessarily. Oh, yeah. So, but so, so, yeah, it's, it's just us telling our opinions on all of these different things. And that offends people who don't have the same opinion. Oh, my God. You know, here, listen, here's the big one. I'm an absolute huge fan of Kiss Crazy Nights. The keyboard heavy hair metal album they did in 1987. I absolutely love that album. But in general amongst Kiss fans, it's one of the most disliked albums. And I'm like, I don't give a crap. You're not going to change what I like just because you don't like it. And that can drive people nuts that I am so confident in my beliefs and what i like that it doesn't matter to me and people and, try and, to and, tell and, you and, you and, don't belong and, but you are millions strong damn it michael <laughs> well you know it's it's i don't care if it pisses somebody off that's the thing i mean we've gotten comments from listeners from other podcasts from people going you know you treat your listeners with disrespect i'm like no i don't I treat the people who disrespect us with disrespect. You want to come in and call me an a-hole? I'll call you back. I'll push right back. I'm not going to sit here and take it. We're pushing right back. And, you know, part of that is that that whole wrestling persona of, you know, when, when you know, Mean Gene is interviewing uh, Bobby Heenan and, you know, um, Sheik Adnan Al-Casey and, and Jerry Blackwell and then, off screen, somebody runs in and yells something, they're pushing right back. They're standing up. And I'm like, that's all I'm doing. And, you know, so, yeah, we do offend people. We do piss people off. And that's good because at the end of the day, it also means you're talking about us. And every time you talk about us, loving or hating, you're promoting us. Yeah. Did you see Kiss back in the 70s before they took the makeup off? Um, no, the actual first concert I saw was 1982 
the Creatures of the Night tour, was the last tour in makeup before they took it off. I did go to, and this is a funny story, I shared this many times, in 1979 in, in Bloomington, Minnesota, where I grew up, they did an in-store at a place called Great American Music. There was like 3,000 fans waiting in line at this in-store, I kid you not. I went to the in-store, met the band, got some autographs, took some pictures of them up there signing autographs, and... The next night, they had a concert in, many, in in Bloomington. It was the Dynasty Tour. Judas Priest was opening. I think I even, I know I saw that, oh, yeah, and tomorrow night, Kiss is playing the Met Center. It never dawned on me as a little kid back then that I could go see a band in concert live. I had no idea. I had no idea that you could go to concerts and see a band. So I, I go to the in-store, meet them one night, the next night they're in concert. I didn't go. Right. <laughs> what what an, what an idiot. <laughs> what an idiot I was. My first um, my first makeup experience was the reunion tour. I was too young to see them in the seventies, but uh, see them live. So I see them in uh, was ninety six, I guess. Right, the reunion yep. tour, and it was at Madison Square Garden. And when that curtain dropped. And the opening, uh, after the opening chords of Deuce, it was it was magical. I, I hate to be so gay about this, but it was it was absolutely magical because before me were the was a a, a duplication of everything I had seen and wondered about beforehand. It was the yep. closest thing to time travel. Those That opening 10 minutes, I was mystified and just stood there with my mouth open. And it was yeah, them. It no. was really them. And it was the original outfits and all of it. But since then, Michael, I think the trajectory has been uh, consistently downward. And I, I, I liken it to a heroin addict. They get that first taste and they spend the rest of their life chasing it and they're never going to get it and you eventually get so broken down and strung out that you end up in an alleyway like begging for a hit off somebody else's rig which is like what going to see the kiss cruise with you know paul stanley slash tom waits now uh doing up there i think it's degenerated wouldn't you say to the point of being that desperate heroin addict in an alley w willing to take anything man give me anything well you, you know we, we we've talked about this because obviously kisses i i firmly believe it now i worked with them 20 years ago when they did the farewell tour and that farewell tour was the farewell to the original four guys that was the last time the four of them were going to play together yeah so now they're on the end of the road which is just that and and i firmly believe this is the end of gene and paul touring as kiss it's not the end of kiss kiss will never go away it can't go away because kiss has become bigger than the band and and what we've talked about is that not even the band members could have imagined that this would happen nobody could imagine a band 50 years down the road being able to continue like the potential that kiss has go get four new people who have the same attitude and kiss continues and 
sure they're not going to be selling 10, 15,000 tickets, but they could be doing 5,000, uh, a residency at, at Vegas or a residency in China or a residency in Japan or whatever. Um, that's going to happen because nobody, nobody imagined that, geez, this band isn't going to die. It, it, it's not dying. I mean, they've got kids, five-year-old, 10-year-old, 12-year-old kids that are fans of the band now, obviously because their parents were, they brought them into this world, but you've got all these fans that, that love the, Mark the the makeup the mystique of Kiss again, sort of like we did as kids, and it can continue. They've learned right or wrong, and this is one of the big big reasons people hate us. You know, they replaced Ace Frehley and Peter Chris. They put Tommy Thayer and Eric Singer in their makeup, and guess what? It didn't it didn't diminish their business one bit. Yeah, it, they 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 were just as strong. So. They, you know, going back to supply and demand, if they would have done that and the arenas were half full, they would have gotten a message. Yeah, Problem you can't was, judge. People still yeah. bought the tickets. Yeah, they did, and and you can't judge Kiss uh, by the same yardstick that you would Foreigner or or Rat or any other band because it's it is it is something. Uh, the makeup is diff- makes it completely yeah, different. It's like a Broadway show that goes on tour. Kids will be talking 25 years from now like, oh, I think so-and-so was the best spaceman. No, I liked when so-and-so did spaceman. It's like if you see Hamilton in New York or see it in Chicago, you'll talk about, yeah, I like, uh, or Phantom of the Opera. So-and-so was a great Phantom. No, no, I, I like so-and-so's Phantom. That's what the Kiss characters are going to be. Yeah, it, it, exactly. So... You know that 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 they they've gotten to this point where, again, there's no rules here. They are playing in an area that nobody has has ventured into before. No band has ever done this before, so they're making it up and doing what they think is right. And putting on my business marketing hat, I sit here and go, "Listen, that Kiss brand, that Kiss logo, the four makeup." are so iconic that it would be foolish to just put it away and say it's done, it's gone, you'll never see it again. Absolutely foolish. I mean, you know, like Gene loves to brag about, what do they got, 5,000 licensees yeah. making product. I mean, what? who would be the fool to say, okay, next year when the band is done touring, it's all gone, no more. no. That stuff is going to keep coming and coming and coming and come. It's not going away. And like I said, they're just making the rules. They're thinking what they wanted. You know, at the end of the day, it's their band. They get to decide what they want to do with their band. Not, not us, the fans. Sure. We can have an opinion, but in my, in my age, I've gotten wiser to realize, you know what? It's stop. It's, it's foolish for me to sit here and, fret and worry and be angry and upset about something that's going on in a band like kiss i have no say in it i just don't there's more important things than you know my daughter i'm more concerned about my daughter my wife my family all of a sudden you realize that's more important 
than a band. Well, thank God you said that, for God's sakes, because uh, you'd be a, d a deficient human being if you, if you hadn't. Listen, <laughs> but, but you know, from it, a that, marketing... That, that, mm -hmm. that, 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 yeah, KISS is all marketing. Music business is all marketing now. You, you know, hey, how about the, the, the great Motley Crue, the stadium tour? Oh, but they signed a contract four, four years ago that said they would never do it again. I'm like, did you actually believe that? It was a marketing stunt right. that they did to sell tickets for that tour. And guess what? Somebody came along and offered them $150 million. They're back together again. The only time a reunion will never happen is when somebody is dead. Sad yeah. to say, but that's the only guarantee a reunion not happening. Not that they wouldn't replace somebody who's dead, but four guys in Motley Crue are still living. They're getting back together. Has hey, anyone before, ever done a tour, a, a you know, a location tour of uh, for Kiss in New York? You know, I see sometimes they do like the Sopranos tour here in Jersey. They'll go to different locations where they filmed. Has anyone done anything where they go to like the Dress to Kill corner on 23rd Street, the original rehearsal studio on what was it, 14th Street? Um, their houses in Queens when they were kids. Has anyone done that? Um, there was a Kiss Expo in New York three years ago, four years ago. And uh, it was a two-day expo, Saturday and Sunday. Saturday was the normal convention hall, dealers, special guests, that type of stuff. The next day was a bus tour of New York City. And the, the promoter of the expo had Peter Chris as the special guest. So Peter Chris was sort of the tour guide on the bus of, I don't know, 30, 40 KISS fans. And, yeah, they did. They drove around to all these different spots. They went to the Electric Ladyland recording studio and went in there, and Peter shared stories, and they oh, drove by God. this street corner. And and as a fan, man, that would be so freaking cool to have that at any time. Hey, I'm going to New York City. I'm going to go take the KISS tour and yeah. see all... You know, as, as generally, most diehard fans will be like, "All right, I'm going to go track down the Dress to Kill street corner because you can find that." Yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go find um, their original rehearsal loft. Um, and I remember I was in New York City with my wife on business. I don't know, ten years ago maybe, and that loft at that time was a comic book store. So you could actually go into the building, uh. walk up, walk up the staircase that they did some of their very earliest photos out of makeup still and go into the comic book store, which was the loft that they rehearsed in. And you'd go, oh, that's the wall from these pictures. That, that's incredible. You know, as a fan, that's an incredible moment, an incredible event to take part in. Let's jump onto Twitter, Michael. Got a couple of questions for you from fans that we can wrap this goddamn thing up for God's sakes. Listen to the two of us, like eleven year olds, talking about Kiss. <laughs> Did, let me. Kiss I gotta ask you though. Kiss and Do, wrestling. I exactly. Let me tell you something. I explored this in a previous podcast. There is what they call the homicidal triad: the three things they most often see in common in serial killers as kids, and it was fire starting with animal cruelty with bedwetting. Those three things together 
um, is a recipe for disaster in a child. And when the FBI did that whole uh, profiling uh, experiment, they found that, and they called it the homicidal triad. I, When I was in high school, you want to know what the undateable triad was? To be absolutely repellent to females, you had to have the following. Kiss fan, wrestling fan, horror movie fan. That was it. I, I, I would agree. Except for me, it wasn't horror movies. It was computers. Oh. So, like, I had a, Co- a Commodore VIC-20, and I had a Commodore 64. I was a computer nut when computers were just coming out. So here I am, loving Kiss, loving wrestling, and loving computers. It's like, and loving oh my your God. And loving your hand a lot, probably, yeah, with yeah, those three. Yeah, exactly. Nobody wanted to be near you. No. I, I, and I, thank I, God. I, I, Could you imagine I, I, the girl that was into those three? Can you imagine I, what that would have looked like? There, there, I, I can't. I can't imagine there even literally was a girl that was into that stuff. All right, let's see. Uh, blah 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 blah. John uh, on Twitter. John's at John's Ramblings. Not having been able to see the product then, how did the fans react to the uh, out of nowhere title wins by Otto Wands and Jumbo Saruta? You know, I I gotta say no comment because I know those wrestlers, but they weren't AWA. Well, yes, sir. They gave Jumbo Saruta, they gave him the title, right? And then Otto Wands won the title from Ric Flair in Germany, not Ric Flair, from Rick Martel in Germany, I think. Well, see, and, 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 you know, as, as I kind of alluded to earlier, growing up watching the AWA, I only knew what was going on in the Minneapolis St. Paul market you didn't get a lot. I mean, yeah, there were the occasional wrestling magazines, but I wasn't buying every single magazine. You know, you, you didn't have all the inside information. So it's like, oh, yeah, I, hope, I know that wrestler's name, but they wrestled in Germany? No freaking clue back then. None. No I, idea. I do kind of remember as a kid when I had seen, I only saw it in the magazines because I couldn't see any of the, the footage out of uh, the AWA until they went on ESPN, but th- that was uh, after this. When I saw that, like Jumbo Saruta, who I'd never heard of, uh, the Japanese wrestler, was the AWA champion. I was like, what? Like, like he was he was never in the rankings. He was never in the listings. Like, those were all deals, I guess, that Vern made with the overseas yeah, promoters. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm sure it's it, you know, obviously people like the AWA and all of them had their out uh, out lying territories that they would go wrestle in not just the u.s but in europe and asia and everywhere else and they probably developed storylines that were very specific to those markets because it appealed to the viewers in those markets uh let's see we have salvatore martone says regarding the gene wears a wig rumors if he did wear one, don't you think he's rich enough to wear one that doesn't look like whatever is on his head right now? <laughs> you know, it's it's funny. He's had some horrendous hairstyles. Um, does he wear a wig? No, he doesn't wear a wig. It's it's terrible hairstyling, and even his own kids have ripped on him for how bad his hair is. Um, does does he does he have and even Paul hair extensions? Sure, I don't doubt that because let let's keep in mind 
the whole point of Kiss is the costume and the makeup recreating what it looked like in the 1970s. So, yeah, it's, you know, they're going to put on makeup and they're going to have braces on their legs so they can still walk and, you know, hair extensions or even small wigs to give them the rock star hair. You know, everything about Kiss has been an illusion, so to speak. Why would anybody who understands Kiss be freaked out to hear that they wear a wig in concert or that something isn't real? It's like, uh, it's Kiss. <laughs> it's all a mystique. It's all an illusion. It's all made up. What have you heard is the uh, gene blood recipe? Um, actually, you know, it, it was an intricate wet recipe because we had a guest on. You might want to look this up. Um, a few months ago, his name was John Watkins, and he was the pyro director for the Dynasty Tour and the Kiss Revenge Tour. And one of the things he talks about was on the Dynasty Tour, how he created a new blood recipe for Gene, because whatever he was using prior to that, he always he hated the taste of it. It was terrible. Hmm. So John talks about how he got all of these cooking ingredients and food coloring and everything else and was experimenting with a little of this and mixing this and getting the right thickness. And is it, does it taste okay? Till he came up with something that he thought was a great blood recipe, gave it to Gene. Gene goes, we're, we're doing this. This is what we're using. So I got to imagine it's still some form of a recipe like that. It's not just off-the-shelf stage blood. No, it's not. I remember reading in Entertainment Weekly when they did the reunion tour. Entertainment Weekly had a huge spread on them. And I was shocked. I don't remember all the ingredients, but the one ingredient that I was shocked by was egg white. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was one of the ingredients in this recipe that John came up with too. It's the classic and, you know, recipe. And, 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 and I, I'm not a cook of any level, so I, I couldn't tell you what it does, but obviously it has something, I don't know, it adds thickness or something to it. I don't know, but that, that, that's what they came up with. All right, we've we've geeked out enough for Christ's sake. We got to take our kiss shirts off now and get back to being family <laughs> men. Get the hell out of our basements, Michael. Where can we find you if we want to listen about Kiss? If we want help marketing our band, where can we get you? Uh, three sides of the coin dot com is everything you need to know about the 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 Kiss podcast. We are everywhere podcasts can be found. Just search for Three Sides of the Coin and Michael Brandvold dot com is where you can find my music business podcast and all of my music business advice and services and all that good stuff thanks for coming on man hey this was fascinating i love talking kiss and wrestling it's two best things in the world yeah well you're 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 two-thirds to the uh, undateable triad just so you know <laughs> i don't have to worry anymore i'm married and got a kid so it's like all right, I can I can revert back to geekdom. That makes you completely undateable. <laughs> always a weird thing when a podcaster guests on a podcast, right? It's like, you know, a radio guy guesting on a radio show. There's probably a lot of internal critique going on. Michael might have been, you know, might now be saying, you know, how the hell is this guy a host? I don't know. But uh, what I do know is that there are some wonderful patrons 
patreon.com slash podcast. I want to give a shout out. Some new people jumped on this week. David Law, Keith uh, Soderholm. Sorry if I didn't pronounce that correctly. I'm doing my best. Steak Sauce, also coming on board. Um, yeah, you could do it too. Patreon.com slash podcast. And I do want to get to some Twitter. I always save a little bit of time at the tail end here uh, to see what's up with y'all. Keith Gamrat says, who had the best sense of humor of all the workers you interviewed? Bundy seemed the coolest, but so did Balls. Was it a Jersey thing, or did they really get the whole shoot experience? Um, Bundy and Balls. Yeah, both both Jersey guys, I guess. Um, Bundy was Bundy has a very weird sense of humor. He... I, I, it was we had a horrible moment, which you can never tell when Chris was working, you know, because he's big and he's intimidating. And one right before the first ring roasts, I'd never worked with him before. I'd never done a ring roast before, right? So we're about to walk out, and I'm just hoping this whole thing comes together. There's comics, there's wrestlers, there's you know video, there's a full house live. And right before I work, I walk out. I, I'd put everybody in the order that they'd be announced uh, in the green room prior, and then we walked out. And I said, "Just stand where I, you know, where I said." So when you you hear me call you, you can get to the door. He made some, you know, objection that he was he was not going to be called before somebody else, or he was first, or he wasn't, la- or he was last. I don't know, but he just he, he got in my face, and you know, Bundy looks like a big fucking egg, you know. So he just leaned in over me, and was like, "Are you kidding me?" And I I didn't have an ounce of fear because I I feared what was coming more the the potential upending uh, of this experiment called Ring Rose. So I I said, uh, Chris, I you really gonna do this now? I'll I'll let you do anything you want to me later, but it's got to be after the show. And he laughed. He said, I'm fucking with you. It was literally four seconds before I had to walk out through the doors to start the show. So that was the kind of thing Chris had. It was like he 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 was always walking that line. He was always working. A lot of these guys were always working, man, you know. Balls was great. Balls was uh Balls was a regular guy, you know. He was one of these one of these cats that when you're sitting around him, you just feel like you're with a wrestling fan that got on TV somehow, you know, you, you didn't, he, he wasn't, there wasn't that aura of that. Maybe you might have, if you sat with a Hulk Hogan or a Ric Flair, maybe I, I don't know. I haven't, but, um, that's, uh, that's the closest I could say about balls. He was a good guy. Um, what we have here is Paul Rogers, Dream series episode with the following. Dusty Rhodes guest booker. Bobby Heenan, you shoot. Vince McMahon, WWE timeline. Which do you choose given the opportunity and why? Wow. Okay. Dusty Rhodes guest booker was a, was a long time regret of mine because we didn't get him before he died. He was one of the first choices for the first guest booker actually. We put out there that we were looking for, looking for a booker, but uh, of a couple of choices of people that we knew uh, were going to be around at the time. It was Dusty and Sullivan, and Sullivan was the first to come back with a yes. So we so we did it, assuming we'd have forever to do Dusty Rhodes, and he's gone, so we don't. 
But uh, that's a great regret. Bobby Heenan, you shoot, would have been incredible. But I, I, we did not have this company when Bobby would have been well enough to speak on camera on a you shoot. So that wouldn't have been a reality. But if we're doing fantasy, God, I, I couldn't imagine an edition of you shoot better than that. Uh, but Bobby was pretty unpredictable. I don't know how open he would have been about like rats and. I mean, he would have been fun, but uh, you shoot takes a, a a candor that not many of the guys have, and the one the ones that do you are are those gem episodes. Um, Vince McMahon timeline. God, if he was ever going to tell the truth, that would have to be the one, because that's the one that historically would endure. It's one that would serve the historian. It would serve the wrestling fan. It would serve just that wrestling fan that has that curiosity about why things happened when they watched it 25 years ago. That would serve a lot of masters, and, and um, oh, I'd love to do it. Come on, Vince. I mean, I know you're listening. Come on. This would, this would be one of those crazy things. You know? Those fucking crazy things. Like when Bill Murray, like, shows up at somebody's frat party. You doing a timeline. That would do it. You'd be so over, bro. You'd be so fucking over. Though, uh, though I, I know people would probably enjoy um, those other ones as well. The Dusty and the uh, and the Bobby, it's great. Thomas Pine, you pass through the gates, the pearly gates, I guess, and run into Rick Rude, Mister Perfect, and Randy Savage. You can do one breaking kayfabe, one you shoot, one timeline. Who does which? This is like the uh, this is like an F Mary kill almost. Okay, so I got Rick Rude, Mister Perfect, Randy Savage, a breaking kayfabe, a you shoot, a timeline. Okay, the Hmm. Okay, the the U shoot is Mr. Perfect. The timeline is Savage. The breaking kayfabe is Rick Rude. I just think that the timeline Randy would give a real interesting perspective to the politics that he was subjected to at the time. Um, a lot of mystery surrounding Randy, but I think the the mystery of the business it would be more interesting uh, than the personal stuff that would be like in a timeline. Um, you shoot, I could see Mr. Perfect having a blast with that, and uh, just the segment on his ribs would be incredible. And then the uh, the breaking kayfabe, Rick Rude, uh, yeah, you know, a lot of personal demons. Rick Rude, I, I think, could speak to a lot of things that uh, a lot of the wrestlers were uh, were going through. Uh, at the time, going through now. Uh, Brian Doyle asks me, how do you decide on the guest? Is it whoever you want, or do you have a general line of who you think people will listen to? I'm assuming you mean guests of this podcast. Um, I have a list. I make a long list, and uh, I reach out, and I schedule. Um, Sometimes I I get opportunities that come to me that aren't on my list, and then I put them on my list. And I say, yeah, that would work, or that wouldn't work, or maybe not now. There's, there's some people on the not now, you know, not ready for that yet. Um, but, uh, but uh, you know, slowly, slowly it gets, um, we, we, we seep what we want into the uh, recipe and you'll be able to eat anything soon. Mike Campbell, favorite authors and genre. I always loved, 
horror. I read my first novel was a Stephen King novel, Pet Cemetery, when I was in sixth grade. Lunchtime, ran to Woolworths. The teacher mentioned it as something that was terrifying. I ran to Woolworths and got the paperback. And uh, that was the first cover-to-cover novel that I read. So I, I read that stuff as a kid. I was also reading nonfiction uh, Helter Skelter. I remember reading as a as a young man, uh, interested in the darker side of life, and uh, that stuff has always interested me. You know, I talked about on here the the undateable triad of horror films, Kiss and wrestling. You know, I guess I was in there, folks. Once again, almost too much fun to be had. Almost too much fun to be had. Don't forget, hit us up. Become a uh, producer of this show on uh, Patreon. Patreon.com slash Podcast. And this has been a production of Sean Oliver Media. Music by the great Kevin McLeod. Licensed through a Creative Commons license. Listen, go do something. Go do something unpredictable this week, will you? And then meet me back here next week. We'll have some fun.